Gum it up in the Berkeley, gum it up in the New York City. Poetry, 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 you subhuman fucks. I'm Marty Kane, and you're listening to the Rural Poetic Series on the Humanities Pod. In each episode, we focus on matters of rural poetry and small press literature, featuring interviews with publishers local to our own region of Ithaca, New York, and discussions and readings from rural poets elsewhere. Today, I'm excited to share a reading from a poet whose work I hold very close to my own heart, Tim Early. Tim Early is the author of five collections of poems, including poems descriptive of rural life and scenery, the winner of the 2015 Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters Award, and Lindhead Stomp. A recipient of writing fellowships from the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown and Hawthorndon Castle in Laswade, Scotland, he's currently a visiting assistant professor of English at the University of Mississippi, where he teaches early British lit, creative writing, and Appalachian literature. When I first read Tim's third book, Poems Descriptive of Rural Life and Scenery, which steals its title from an 1820 collection by John Clare, I was most struck with the dynamic range of diction that Early works with. Tim Early is a poet from Western North Carolina, and his poems often blend Appalachian vernacular English with arcane, antiquated vocabulary and academic buzzwords associated with continental theory. The result is an extraordinarily dense, variegated tapestry of language, and in this way, his work resists the easily consumable nature of the so-called MFA poem that relies upon lyric exposition to gesture towards epiphany. For Early, however, employing difficult language is not merely an aesthetic exercise. Rather, it's a direct confrontation with the unspoken class hierarchies that structure contemporary U.S. poetry communities in general. As a writer from a rural, working-class background, Tim's work expresses an acute awareness of the way that the bourgeois urban imaginary has tended to view rural space, and especially Appalachia, as on one hand abject, impoverished, and violent, in the vein of a film like Deliverance, and on the other hand as an idyllic pastoral removal from the pressures of modern life. But Tim's writing, I believe, shows us how complex contemporary rural life is, and responds by giving us a form of language that mirrors this complexity. In his fourth book, Lindhead Stomp, Tim ends one poem by writing, That is some unassimilable shit, which strikes me as an apt descriptor for his oeuvre more broadly. It refuses to be contained, simplified, or assimilated to normative cultural understandings of rural life. Lindhead Stomp, which came out in 2016, is, in my opinion, Early's most ambitious and lingually visceral book. It's a book-length epic poem that frantically shifts between lineated writing and large, dense prose blocks, and it deals, in a general sense, with childhood trauma and the closure of textile mills in western North Carolina. Tim's reading today begins with a selection from this work. Let's get started. A very high number of people call me Pap for no discernible reason. The blue sky stretches out and every whore sun is a giggling minion, though some further rhombus of peace may be offered us. The beauty of the ineluctable strains, dish rag, 
Wash rag, rag, picker, rag, face eat up with worms. Proffer his coon pipe like a sag wire, and the sin blooming in his brain, sin erupted straight from his ear. There near some cast off barbed wire and chicken wire and sag wire, that sort of requisite particulate which provides a stanchioning for such erstwhile fantasies. The fuckers and their spirit genes, and particular methods of extruding a fence from its proper social position, and then the hell rears out from its hole and everybody commences a form of inarticulable violence against self and others. The dogs rolled up and watching. A functioning liver resides somewhere in the valley, in the distance. Looky here, my knots was the last thing he said before he died. Hey y'all, watch this was the last thing he said before he died. I thought it were coming from the other direction was the last thing he said before he died. I laid down to sleep in whatever goodly bower I happened to find. That's not a cloud line that may be profitably followed. It takes a worried man to dig that many post holes in the green darkening of an April sky. I have danced myself chopless and shankless was the last thing he said before she died. All those flowers gathered from the mole-encrusted dark and feathery hillside did not seem silly to us any longer. How did your asshole smell when it passed your nose? How did your savior return to you through the moaning nomenclature? How did the horsemen and obscene pursuing mob gain the apex and mingle their pablums and die on the crystalline thrusts like the good-steaded beasts they've always become and always been? Admirers are not of the traction beyond. Our favorite roustabout like to go on about the operatives remaining in perpetual debt to the company store. Shook his leg like a demented scarecrow for increased emphasis. These social and economic maladies are temporal concerns outside the realm of righteous conviction. Honey wagon produces via the mortal funk of excrement exigencies and imperatives. Equate injury with virtue, the only industry, injury, foster a sense of permanence with domestic instruction and systematized sportsing. Here in the mingling high writhing nest of banjo strings on your favorite bluegrass mixtape, baby number four drinking Mountain Dew from the bottle, and Pokey losing his disability check and mounting your woolly antlers above his bed. Envision a pristine waterfall in an elvish cove as Sissy cuts herself, cuts her fuck daddy out, cuts into the dead-lipped savior of every day. The social type produced by these conditions is a crucial step in your process of individuation, in your arrival at palatable deformity and consumptive gloss. Gratitude always for future blessings and present pain interpretive authority of the working person among the roving processes of the industrial liturgical predator a lot of vibrant play before extinction a lot of duende and that aneurysm to separate labor from the soul that produces it to separate the soul from the thing produced to separate the thing produced from its ultimate function to separate the ultimate function of the thing produced from the johnny house and the doffer's lingual fluency and the nation's prodigious body count 
A large toxic spectral material pig sputters at the edge of existence. I had to wait until revival season to act as strangely as I desired. There's a hell of a mill village, one county over. Free Poetry Workshop. This reads like chopped up prose. Less anger. Too many birds. Too few birds. Too many adjectives. Too many expletives. This narrative is pretty elliptical. More grounding. Less concrete noun of abstract noun. More white space. More chances for breath. Use some scientific names to delineate this morass of birds and plants. Penultimate line, penultimate line, penultimate line. Ground that shit. Nice line break. Sexy line break. Random Larry Levis gasm. I'm trying to find a through line here. I think this poem is divisible by quatrains. More resonant ambiguity, please. My response is somewhere along a spectrum of feeling like my head has been partially lopped off. Meh. And Tom's a cold. You have mixed my idea of metaphor with some other idea of metaphor. Who the fuck do you think you are? As a person who has experienced things, it is difficult for me to read this poem. Surrealist vespers. Try making the first line the last line. Too funny, maybe. It's like it's personal and political at the same time. This feels like two poems to me. This feels like three poems to me. This feels like four poems to me. I am unnerved at the number of possible distinct and separate poems this feels like to me. Closure, exposure. Try cutting everything after the first line. Invite the reader in. Peekaboo rhyme. Where is the emotional center? Its heart, its heart, its beautiful beating, snorting, multi-chamber, diaphanous, animal gurgling, elastic, cartwheeling heart. There, ground that shit. Ground it. I was born in the wrong century, the wrong town, to the wrong mother, the wrong body, among inexcusable species of flowers and grass, wrong foodstuffs forced into my gullet, raised among wrong packs or wrong children, among crooked forks and warped shovels, a fierce lashing rain, the wrong partners, I could not satisfy them, they broke dishes over my head, wrong profession, pulling out my teeth and replacing them with fraudulent gemstones to zero applause, wrong pets, the cockroach in my ear, the screech owl crotchless upon my diadem, wrong light radiating my skeleton, wrong field with the wrong synapse firing toward an improper sun, desires entirely errant, torrential gulfs of feeling, the wrong grave, no more reverent than a ditch, truly ludicrous prayers, but the right comb, I think, not a bad hat, and the devotion of a few leafless trees. Investigations of a snapping turtle. My uncle delivered the snapping turtle as a present. He fetched it from near the dam at the coal-fired power plant where he worked. It was obscenely large, possessed of red eyes. It never retracted its head into its shell. Instead, it lorded around the yard, vaingloriously curious, hissing at our terrified cats. I fed it raw hamburger.
I was warned repeatedly about its powerful jaws. If it bit me, they said, it would not let go until it thundered. My grandpa wanted to make turtle stew out of it. Best stuff you can get, he said. One day the turtle clamped down on my finger. I thought I might lose it. The pain was excruciating. The adults gathered round. All day, you will have to wait until it thunders, my grandma said. And they went into the house. It turned out to be a drier than average June. The turtle and I sat in the yard for 16 days and nights. I prayed for death many times. It seemed utterly content in its duty and applied a constant pressure. It never tried to take my finger, though I knew it could. When that beautiful afternoon darkening fell upon us, the first rumble of thunder was so distant that the turtle did not hear. But I knew the storm was getting closer. I looked into the turtle's eyes, red voids, distant time, evolution of scum and entrails. The next rumble was substantial, a quick fleck of lightning beyond the trees. The turtle released my finger. I felt no pain, but my finger was swollen, the size of a pine cone. That's not a turtle we should eat, my grandpa said. That's not a turtle I can take back to the river, my uncle said. The turtle transformed into a young woman with an untroubled face. This is where folk ballads came from, she said, in the days before television, and started tying one of our chickens by its feet to the clothesline, preparing it for slaughter. First this, my uncle said. Next the rapture, my grandma said. Who would ever want to leave this place, I thought. But then I did. A dog beneath and a dog above. The trailer single wide or double, underpinned or not, on its lot or part of a larger park, has lost its formaldehyde smell or not, is level or not, has broken windows or not, is landscaped with mulch and monkey grass and hibiscus or not, has septic tank that ceases to function during heavy rain. A hound kicked to death or not, that spent its life rolling over other hounds in the muck beneath the stoop, that gnashed into the ribcage of a deer, that was crushed onto the asphalt, or not, a nimbus of fleas around its asshole. Pill bottles on the counter, an illiterate person has my pills, get me my scripts, get me my nerve pill, a preacher's crotch distended into the river, Jordan, a coat array of Elvises in various stages of decline, crush it up, honeysuckle, kudzu, dandelion, ivy trellis, railroad trellis, fuck you, fuck you. Fuck you, sugar, sugar diabetes, brown lung, loom plucked scalp, missing fingers, spam, little Debbie's nerve endings on fire, bad liver, glaucoma, lost time accident, goody powder, seven dust, asbestos in the brake pads, round up, smelled like formaldehyde for a solid month, then they is some dirt that is permanent. 
He was an alcoholic, and he married this woman he met across the state line, playing the poker machines. And they moved in next to her brother's liquor store, and they kept him drunk all the time. And he died on the floor, in his own shit and piss. And she got his pension, and kept on living in that house, directly, directly, notice law, they, lordy, I declare, I'm fixing to, you fucks, bait, pies, and deef, spigot, his and hern, yorn, Irish, kindly, poorly. They said Mr. McGillicuddy lived in the chimney, and he was in sane and had a long pecker and they did not say it was shaped like a scythe but in my imagination it was shaped like a scythe and i saw him mowing the field mowing the field with his pecker and the other thing like i said was he was insane and the older cousins would shove our heads up into the chimney so our heads would just loom up into his insane darkness and he had long teeth and then I figured it out. He was a metaphor for my Aunt Gypsy Rose Lee with the bullet fragments in her skull. And for my cousin who died in restraints at the mental hospital in Morganton. And for my grandmother's mania and for her shock therapy, we put her shock therapy in the chimney. Righteous fucks. Satan. I will beat your ass. Gary got his ass beat. That boy needs a fucking beating. Eddie tried to kill that dude with a railroad spike. He is a stupid bastard. Peppertown, Ragtown. Daryl was handsome and dated white girls. Them boys cut up his face with a straight razor. Thirty or forty cuts, each an inch or so long. They sprayed David with birdshot just for fun. He killed his best friend for fucking his wife, invited him over to watch the race, and met him with a shotgun at the door. When his friend turned away, he shot him point blank in the back. Dell Earnhardt heals the sick, you fucks. My brother lost 50 pounds after Dell was killed at Daytona. He was so depressed. Jane Smiley writes of the Scotch-Irish, mean as a snake and twice as quick. Fuck you. Jane Smiley, minstrel corn pone, minstrel corn pone, whistle pig, peaked, job it with a stick, job that shit with a stick, catch that tree frog, I know to throw it back. Jesus face, sissy holler, we is just folks, and these is just some cultural interstices. The absence of teeth and the compromised nature of the gums give the tongue freer range and indeed create an almost limitless field for linguistic play and invention. Teeth have everything to do with the Lord and social Darwinism and distract the poet from his Orphic emptiness. Gum it up in the Berkeley. Gum it up in the New York City. Poetry, 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 you subhuman fucks. The road was filled with broken glass. Gasoline. She wasn't saying nothing. It was just a dream. The wind comes silent through the windshield. All I could see was snow and sky and pines. I closed my eyes and I was running. I was running, then I was flying. This is a poem that's in, uh, Memory of my, my neighbor, Eddie Dobbins. If I sanctioned the memorial evangelical hortatory as a yellow call that ministrated to the poor ass, culturally determined, benighted skeletal flash of being in the trash hills, that's us 
Well, then may I be assailed by temptation, and may a sentient zombie double be constructed that I am forced to converse with until I negate my interior value system and become a bleeding root, mewling on the ridge line of an ordinary mason's imagination, or let me drown in the river while my sisters sing and nettles converse with the wind and other nettles, or give me wings so I may urinate from any vantage point, archalimbic of angel plague, doctor split stream modality. Or lay me down in the potter's field with the most exceptional masculine erudites among my ancestors, so they may dispense their many hatreds into my being, and no one will fuck with me except celestial wolves and their thousand ritual lies, nightmare resurrections tearing at my belly or eye holes, and then whole again, I would pick the banjo for the first time in a furious way that would justify the moaning alcoholic cotillion of my younger days, and that would be one of many ways to die. In a high mountain valley, the greeny asphodels about, Filch asked to borrow my lawnmower, and some gasoline. He mowed the adjacent trailer park and returned to me and offered to mow my lawn with my own mower and gasoline for $20. I felt like an emperor. I drained my bag. I filleted a barracuda. I said, I want to be you, Filch. Let me live in your trailer house with its many prescription bottles, its Spanish art, its enormous garden tub, the wind that whistles through the broken window at night and gives birth to your dreams, more intense than any rivening prophets. Much boots, what rust, he said. But I want to be you place my trailer house inside your trailer house. A citizen filled with bookish theoric, an anchorite on a stoop, or just regular with a backup generator, some cable channels, a family Bible alive with script. Okay, I said, you grasshopper, you goat. We will be in complete amity and provoke salvation and spool catfish whiskers and survey the valley round for signs of holler ghost or other unsavory elements, a modified stock car and a astonishing spray of gravel, a hundred flasks, a thousand pills could not undo us. I will never forget Tammy Tonks. I will never forget Bradley Wayne. I will never forget the nail bomb. I will never forget exploding the can of Raid with gasoline. I will never forget the bottle rockets rained down upon the home of Simiel Scruggs as his father, amped on speed and strange, delivered the semi to a faraway land, his mother in bed, unable to move from the systemic triolage of her days annexation of blood and progeny. All modern texts should bear the subtitle, tobacco should bear a bear to the heavens where their snouts and claws belong. The nascent science of the bounty system. I capped gnats until I aspirated the remaining beast of my own erotic imprimatur. I do not speak for my people. I do not speak for people. Rural Poetics is part of the Rural Humanities Initiative, which is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation and housed at Cornell Society for the Humanities. 
Our thanks go to Cornell's College of Arts and Sciences and the Cayuga Nation on whose land Cornell resides.